Welcome to the West Side Audio Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. And if you're looking for more ways to connect with West Side Assembly of God, feel free to check us out at www.westsideag.org. You'll find all the information about our service times, upcoming events, and opportunities for you to plug in and get connected with West Side Assembly of God. Additionally, you'll find a complete online archive of all of the previous and current messages absolutely free of charge. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message, and thanks again for downloading the West Side Audio Message Podcast. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, the use of the word Pentecost there was totally different than our use of the word Pentecost. That was an agricultural feast. It was a feast. It was a harvest. So whenever the day of Pentecost came, the people in that day and age were not thinking in terms of anything spiritual or the Holy Spirit or anything. It did, nothing like that entered into their mind. This annual harvest feast. But in obedience to the command of Jesus, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were, staying at Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own languages being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans, which infers that we don't expect them to know our language. Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native tongue? Then I'm going to go down to the 13th verse. And it says, Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Now one of our leading theologians in the world today is N.T. Wright. You can find N.T. Wright's books in every Christian bookstore. He's written a number of them. He's not a Pentecostal scholar, but he is recognized as one of the leading scholars in the world, New Testament scholar. And although he's not, doesn't consider himself Pentecostal, he makes this powerful statement about the events in the second chapter of Acts. He says, all Christians, not only those who call themselves Pentecostalists, derive their meaning from the first Pentecost. Now that's an important statement because what he's saying is every Christian, every church, we derive our meaning, or we should derive our meaning from that first Pentecost. The church was not born on the day of Pentecost. If the church by definition is the body of Christ, and that's metaphorically, then those who serve God through Jesus Christ establishes that the church was already in existence before the day of Pentecost. So this was a, uh, a supercharging and, an, and an, a defining moment 
for that young church. Whenever they were commanded to wait and to be in, until you be endued with power uh, from on high by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now during the Feast of Pentecost, Jerusalem would always swell with Jews from around the different parts of the world. As it said in the scripture, from every nation on the face of the earth. And they would make their pilgrimage back to Jerusalem, those who were capable of doing so. So there was a representation of all nationalities, Jews from all nations there that day. As they had made this pilgrimage every year, they grew to understand what to expect when they, being foreigners, went in Jerusalem and encountered something very unique this time as they went in. And uh, not like other times, they, they heard the Galileans speaking their language. And it was very noteworthy. How is it these Galileans now are speaking our language? Well, that was the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that enabled those who were being filled with the Holy Spirit to supernaturally speak those languages. God chose this day, this Jewish Feast of Pentecost, to pour out His Spirit in this unprecedented way on those who were there expecting and believing. And this was that event, that defining event, that empowered that early church for its earthly mission, which our mission is to take the gospel to the world. We can't forget that's our mission. There was never any reason for the church to quit being Pentecostal. The early church was Pentecostal. Now today, not every church considers themselves Pentecostal. But there is no legitimate, compelling reason for any church not to be Pentecostal. If we are not Pentecostal, we have deviated from the original model. Now we have to understand what's it mean to be Pentecostal. How, how many of you here, just take a quick show of hands, grew up in a Pentecostal church? So we've got, you know, maybe six, eight, ten that your roots go back pretty far in Pentecostal church. The rest of you, obviously, are latecomers to some degree for whatever reason. Uh, let's take another vote, another uh, survey. How many of you have been in a Pentecostal church uh, that had some very strange manifestations that uh, you might have found curious or scary. <laughs> uh, okay, now we, we've got a few. You've been there. Now we pastored in Alabama. Not far from our church in Alabama, there was a little uh, church out in the country that they were snake handlers. You don't usually find that in your traditional mainline denominations. But something about being uh, Pentecostal, it, it seems to give people the idea that there's a license to do just about anything and get away with it. And there's a lot of interesting things that goes along with this. Uh, because Pentecostal churches have typically had a more free style of worship, less liturgical, uh, more freewheeling. Uh, it has been noted and, and documented that people who have mental 
issues who are institutionalized perhaps get out of the institution find themselves to be more comfortable in less structured places so what happens is if they have and they often have religious fixations whenever if they desire to be associated with the church they don't always feel comfortable because they themselves are not always as structured as the rest of society so they find churches that are less structured and they they seem to fit right in now the bottom line is that if you have or if a person has mental disorders or their behavior is due to uh, uh, mental disorders and they feel right at home in Pentecostal churches that's an uneasy thought we make the crazies feel comfortable and the same people uncomfortable well there, there's no biblical mandate why we should do that <laughs> it just kinda has been a part of the the nature of the 20, 20th century Pentecostal church and along with being a Pentecostal church there's a lot of stigmas that goes along with that uh, if you tell anybody that you uh, attend a Pentecostal church eventually you're gonna have somebody that looks at you funny because they've heard stories and there's an old term called holy rollers that's not the church's bowling league that term actually comes from activities within Pentecostal churches in the 20th century where having a free-for-all mentality people were known to be on the floor thrashing about and rolling around and uh, the world witnessed that from time to time if they showed up at the church and then consequently they put the activities of being on the floor and, and moving about and thrashing and then holy rollers uh, so I've, I've grown up in Pentecostal church been in many different Pentecostal churches and I can tell you of a lot of weirdness that I have seen because anytime that you give a little license for people to do whatever they want some people take advantage of that and it, it can it can get out of hand pretty quick unfortunately in the 20th century and into the 21st century uh, it it almost became the identity of a Pentecostal church to expect something strange to go on unexplainable to go on uh, a, a lot of uh, shaking and, 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 and twitching and, and dancing and rolling and, and uh, running uh, a lot of things happening uh, when I was a little boy the, the more that the, you did that the more the better service you had boy we really had church tonight and it seemed like there was an era during which the modern Pentecostal church kind of gauged their spirituality by how chaotic uh, the services were now there are three earmarks of a Pentecostal church that we can derive from the second chapter of Acts and those three I'm going to deal with today first is uh, a Pentecostal church is a spirit-filled church that's unquestionable and be being a spirit-filled church you can't have an institution that's spirit-filled if you don't have people that are spirit-filled 
So when you're saying a spirit-filled church, you're talking about the people in the church understand what it means to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. In an experience much like what these experienced there on the day of Pentecost. And those from non-Pentecostal denominations uh, oftentimes will want to argue that although they do not uh, believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a modern day uh, experience, uh, they believe that as Christians that they are filled with God's Spirit. And of course, uh, the, uh, uh, the, I guess the debate has gone on in times past, will continue to go on between those that say, well, we're, we're children of God, we're filled with the Spirit, what makes you so special? And then maybe someone from the other side says, well, what manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit do you have that, that declares that you're filled with the Holy Spirit? The, the Assemblies of God has one tenet of faith that says the uh, speaking tongues is the initial physical evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The charismatic movement came along and they didn't buy into the initial physical evidence. A lot of them found the baptism of the Holy Spirit through uh, uh, auxiliary uh, parachurch ministries like Full Gospel Businessmen Association and Women's Aglow, they went to these, but the Spirit was being poured out. Pastors uh, and, and people from all kinds of different denominations, this is back in the 70s, began to find this empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But not all of them were speaking in tongues. Some, some of them were. Uh, some of them declared that they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, but they didn't speak in tongues till much later, or their gift that they got was the gift of healing or, or some other gift. And, of course, I, I really don't care anything about debating that. that, that that's, that's just not of any interest to me. What is interesting to me is there was awakening to the reality of the Holy Spirit that went beyond just salvation. And they began to realize there's something else besides just being saved. There's some empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That, I mean, these people that got baptized in the Holy Spirit, they were godly people. They were followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, they were sent out. Some of these disciples sent out two by two, and they were ministering, and they were casting out demons, and they were healing the sick. Yet, with all of that going on, they still got baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was a step beyond anything they'd ever experienced. So that's one thing we have to understand when we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about something else beyond just loving God, just being saved, just believing in Him. It's an empowerment for what? To be the kind of witness God wants us to be. Why? So we can spread the gospel, so we can bring people into the fold, win them into the kingdom. And it's hard for us to do that sometimes without having the motivation and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to make us adequate witnesses. And that's what this is all about. So I, I was going to summarize the three points that were Spirit-filled. And the uh, Pentecostal church is an evangelistic church, and the Pentecostal church is a community church. Those are the three things I'm going to deal with today. First of all, I'm going to start off with the thought of the Pentecostal church is a Spirit-filled church. And that's the one that's most heavily emphasized today. We don't hear pastors preach too much about the Pentecostal church being identified as an evangelistic church or a, uh, a community church, a church of fellowship. But we 99% we of the time hear them talking about being a spirit-filled church. And I go back to my statement before. All churches are supposed to be evangelistic. And many of them are. 
That, that's why we are a church. We're not a closed club to come together and have a little Sunday party and go home. We are here to learn God's word and be inspired and be empowered and then go out and uh, be light in darkness. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And all churches are supposed to be a place of fellowship. But the third one, all churches are supposed to be spirit-filled, is where we start losing a lot of other churches in the world today. They are trying to be evangelistic and they're trying to be uh, a, a church of fellowship but not all of them understand the biblical aspect of what it means to be a spirit-filled church or spirit-filled people and even if you uh, uh, leave out the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit of speaking in tongues even if you leave that out you don't see the other gifts of the Spirit being manifested in these other churches that want to argue, well, we're saved, we love God, we're filled with the Spirit. Okay, so where, where are the gifts of the Holy Spirit that work through people who are filled with the Spirit? That's evidence that the Holy Spirit is there. Now, in the second chapter of Acts, we read of some very obvious, visible, or audible, notable uh, manifestations uh, of the presence of the Holy Spirit there, wind and fire. And uh, one of the first things recorded in the second chapter of Acts, uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, included very quickly that there was a mighty rushing wind and there were tongues of fire that, what seemed to be tongues of fire, that set down on the individuals. Now it's, it's interesting that wind and fire consistently in Scripture has uh, some uh, significance and some meaning. John the Baptist came and, and alluded to wind and fire when he was prophesying about people being baptized in the Holy Spirit. He says, one comes after me who is more powerful than I am, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That was a prediction that was a prophecy of the baptism of the Holy Spirit would come because of the ministry of Jesus. Then he said his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear the threshing floor gathering the wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Once again a reference to the fire but also a reference to the wind because if you understand winnowing it was about throwing the grain in the air and the wind being able to blow the chaff away and the, the heavy grain would fall back down. So you throw it up enough times and pretty soon you got most of the chaff cleared out of it. So both of these references from John have something to do with judgment. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in this day and age is not just for the purpose of empowerment, but there's something about the judgment of God that comes along with the reality of the presence of the Holy Spirit in this world. The Holy Spirit being poured out on all flesh would not only empower the believers, but it'd bring great judgment against those who were skeptics and those who were unbelievers. One of the first things that Peter had to deal with as seemingly one of the kickpins, one of the leaders uh, on the forefront of the movement of the new Pentecostal church was a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. Quite an interesting, shocking story here in the middle of the birth of the church. They had a piece of land. And they had decided with the advent of this new church and, and, the, and the need of this community that had come together and they, many of them had, had sold all of their possessions and they moved in together. It was like a commune. 
And unfortunately, that, that experience didn't work. That experiment didn't work very well. They sold everything they had and came to live together, and then they ran out of food. And nobody had any, any means to provide, so they figured, well, that, maybe that's not what God wants us to do, is to completely divorce ourselves from all means of support in this world and just to get together and be Christians in this little nucleus. So that original commune experience didn't last very long. But they were selling what they had. They were donating to the church. They were living together. And Ananias and Sapphira said, well, we've got some property. Let's sell it and give it to the church. But before they could get to the church and give it to it, they talked it over a little bit. And they said, well, you know, the, the church doesn't know what we're going to give. And after all, anything we give would be a blessing. So instead of giving all of it, why don't we just give some of it? They may have given most of it. And keep a little for ourselves. After all, we worked for this all of our life. Absolutely nothing wrong with giving a part of what you have or giving all of what you have. What happened that went wrong is when they had made a promise to God, even though it was secretly, they had made a promise to God, and it may have even gone like this. I'm speculating a little bit. But they may have even said, Lord, if you'll help us sell this land, we'll give the profits, we'll give the, the, the sale to the church. The land sold. Now I'm taking a little bit of liberty there. Maybe they didn't pray that, but I would have. And you would have too. But before they got there, they had changed their mind. They had already made enough of a pledge to God that God considered it dishonest for them to change their mind. After the land successfully sold, they got there and they brought part of it in. And Peter was told by the Holy Spirit, it, revealed, uh, it was revealed to him that Ananias came in and laid this money at his feet. And Peter said, wait just a minute, where's the rest of it? The Holy Spirit has told me you promised to give God all of this. You could have promised God 10% and God would have been happy. But you promised it all, now you're greedy. And the judgment fell on Ananias and he, he died in church. And they're carrying him out and his wife comes in. What's happened to my husband? Well, let's deal with you first. You know, you, were you a part of this? You knew this was going on? She died too. Now, there's a couple lessons here. You know, don't lie to God. And then don't think if the Holy Spirit wants to tell the pastor, you can hide from me. I don't know everything about you, but I know somebody who does. He might just share with me what's going on. You have to deal with this. Because when the power of the Holy Spirit comes, it's not just about empowering people. It's about bringing truth and righteousness and holding people accountable. That's part of what the power of the Holy Spirit in the church, in the world today, brings. Then there were tongues. You got the fire, the wind, and they were speaking in the tongues. And the witnesses to this were the foreigners who heard the disciples speaking this language that they didn't expect to be able to, to, to speak normally. Now, when the, lat, when, when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit began in the early 1900s for the latter days, We've, we've got uh, some characters that, that uh, played an important part in that 
outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And William Seymour was one that uh, experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, went out to California, and uh, that became the Azusa Street Revival. Got a little tiny building and began to pray, and the Holy Spirit began to pour out. Azusa became uh, famous nationwide as people heard about something happening in Azusa, and people were flocking in from all over. In this little tiny church, the, the newspapers in Los Angeles began to notice something's going on down here. What is happening? People were going to church, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit was being poured out. They were experiencing a modern-day Pentecost, like in the book of Acts. Now, one of the interesting things that happened is there, there were some people from down in Cajun country, and there's a, a lot of uh, uh, voodoo that is embedded in that culture down there. And some of these people who had been a part of the voodoo religion uh, made their way out to the revival in California, Azusa Street. Now, you're probably not real familiar with the voodoo religion, but if you know anything about it at all, then I can remind you that they have a lot of manifestations going on in their religion as well. Uh, it, a lot of the jerking, the twitching, the, uh, the, the, the shouting, the, uh, the trances that they get into. And these people from uh, the, the voodoo religion went out to Azusa Street and they experienced the salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But the only thing they knew about religion was how they used to manifest. And so some of these traits of voodooism and worship began to show up at Azusa Street. And they, a lot of the, the, the head flailing, a lot of the jerking, a, 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 a lot of things going on that came straight from their voodoo roots. And now, who, the new people there were looking at this, and they were associating this with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, unaware that this was coming from the voodoo background. So a lot of these things that we saw in the old time, what we think is old time Pentecost, actually came from uh, the people who had their roots in uh, voodoo religion. And then the Pentecostals began to adopt that as normal Pentecostal practice. Now I've kind of come back, back around to my opening comments who, who have been in uh, some Pentecostal church somewhere, somewhere where you've seen some of the manifestations that you, you didn't understand why they did that. Well, it, it got embedded in early Pentecost. They didn't have these things going on in the second chapter of Acts. There were some strange things for sure when you hear somebody speaking language that they never studied. That's odd. And when you see little jets of fire sitting down on people, you say, that certainly is odd. You don't see that every day. And you hear a wind, but you don't see the curtains blowing. Now, that's really odd. But there's a lot of strange things going on. But a lot of these other physical responses and manifestations were just introduced by people and coming from their background. Now, the people who were saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit in, Azusa, in the Azusa Street Revival, uh, they got uh, overly ambitious and newborn Christians can be sometimes a little bit hard to corral. You have to channel their energy. 
you have to give them some guidance. Uh, if, if nobody gives them guidance, if you give them free reign, they can do some pretty spooky stuff. And they'd be, some of these people begin to get saved, and they said, you know, I really feel compelled to go out as a missionary. Well, here's what you should do if you're going to go as a missionary. You need to make proper preparation. You need to get your support. You need to get a group behind you and be accountable to it. No! We've been empowered with the Holy Spirit. We need to go now. And they felt like God told them what country to go to. And they felt like God had given them the gift of tongues. And when they got there, they didn't even have to take language school. All they had to do was just show up. And God would use that gift of the Holy Spirit to speak to the local people. So they were, they were going at various parts of the world, landing in a country where they didn't know anybody. All they had was the gift of tongues. And lo and behold, it failed miserably because their tongues did not work for them to communicate like the, to the people like they theorized it was going to. So you see, being baptized in the Holy Spirit is not about making stupid decisions and trusting God's going to cover for you. As a matter of fact, we, we should never forsake uh, right and reasonable and sane logic uh, unless it's in direct conflict with something God is absolutely doing. But it doesn't mean we put our brains in park. It, they should have taken time to get prepared. And as much as I admire their faith in saying, we're just going to go, we don't have any support. But they got over there, then they had to wire back to the United States and said, send some money so we can get home. We don't have any way to support ourselves here. So there were a lot of things that were done that were not logically thought out and processed because, well, let's be careless. God has baptized us in the Holy Spirit, and he'll just watch out for us no matter what we do. Well, that was not a good way. To handle the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The wind, the fire, the tongues. But there is one thing we want to take from this. And that is when these people were baptized in the Holy Spirit, the world took notice. When the Holy Spirit empowers a church, there will be things about that that people will notice. Now here's the question. Are we a Pentecostal church? Here's the follow-up question. If we are spirit-empowered, what are we doing that makes the world take notice? Because there's probably a contradiction in the philosophy that, yes, we're a Pentecostal church. How you know? Because we subscribe to this magazine that says Pentecostal Evangel. What more proof do you need? They won't have that magazine over here at this other church. They're not Pentecostal. We're Pentecostal, says on our literature. Every piece of literature there for a while that we put out from Gospel Publishing House stamped with the verse from Zechariah, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. That was our slogan. Yet I ask the question today, are we a Pentecostal church? Everybody's afraid to vote because they think I'm going to embarrass you. But I think in our hearts, we're saying, I think we are we're supposed to be. We call ourselves a Pentecostal church. We're associated with a Pentecostal denomination. Largest Pentecostal denomination in the world. 
supposed to be Pentecostal. But if the Holy Spirit was poured out on these people and they took notice, the world took notice, then isn't it kind of a contradiction to call ourselves a Pentecostal church and we do nothing noteworthy? Nothing that the world says, well, look what is happening. And, you know, I, I realize we're isolated. Not everybody might see. But if, if we're not doing anything, anybody would notice to indicate that there's something special about a church that is yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit. Then I think we need to sit down and re-examine what does it mean to be a Pentecostal church? Not just ordering the supportive literature, but what about each one of us making it a part of our prayer life? God, make me Pentecostal. Empower me with the Holy Spirit. Make me a part of a congregation that we can call it a Spirit-filled church. Let me walk in the power of the Spirit. Being able to be called upon when your neighbor and your friend and your family needs prayer. That you can touch heaven. That God honors your prayers. That people see that these people speak with power. They speak with the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be a Pentecostal church. We can't be Pentecostal. Just by attending the church, we have to be Pentecostal by being Pentecostal ourselves and coming together in fellowship. Every one of us should be having experiences in our life where the manifestation of the fullness of the Spirit in our life uh, uh, leaves a trail behind you of people that you touched, people that you ministered to, things that happened in your life. And I'm not trying to make a frivolous game out of it, but I can tell you it's just a lot of fun when you realize you let your life be used by God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and things happen that surprise people. And sometimes it surprises you. But it's a part of letting God work through you. See, the Spirit-empowering, a Spirit-filled church moves from the corporate corporate to the personal and the personal empowers the corporate which was the opposite of the way it was in the whole, in the old testament where we see God's spirit was dwelling on the nation of Israel just to be a part of that made you a part of the corporate blessing but as it moves into the new testament it reverses and you can't just be a part of the corporate blessing because you belong to a church it's relying on the individual to define the corporate body. Together, if we're spirit-empowered people, we define whether we are a spirit-empowered church. Now, the second thing about a Pentecostal church that we rarely talk about is a Pentecostal church is supposed to be an evangelistic church. We are to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, so we can be witnesses to the world. And so, it just follows. If you're going to be a spirit uh, a Pentecostal church it's more than just saying we're a spirit filled church it's about being motivated to be an evangelistic church the endowment with power is to enable us to evangelize people Jesus provided the good news he did the hard work all we got to do is tell the story and sometimes we find that we're the newscasters sometimes we find that hard to do don't we how many of you your tongue sticks to the roof of your mouth when you get ready to witness your mouth gets dry you wonder I don't know how they're going to receive this you're making too big of a deal out of it there's just people that needs to know the good news 
And, and sometimes they, they react favorably and sometimes they don't know what to make of it. But you still have a responsibility to share the good news. I, I have one neighbor uh, that I've witnessed to on occasions. Uh, he's not in necessarily in, in great personal health. But he'll come over once in a while and he'll just talk to me about all of his health woes and what's going on and back and forth at the doctor. And I said, you know, I, I, if you don't mind... I will keep you in prayer because he's got some doctor's thing coming up. He's worried about it. He's not mentioning, you know, trusting in God or believing. I will keep you in prayer. And uh, he just kind of stand there and look at me. And then finally he figured out, well, maybe it won't hurt. Well, yeah. Any, I, I, his response is like, well, I guess anything will help. <laughs> Something doesn't click. You know, I, I tell him, God cares about you. I will pray for you. Next time he comes over, he's, he, he's cursing like a sailor. And he, something's not clicking. He's not, he's not, it's not all coming together in his brain. That you got a godly minister living next to you that, that you know, has a different set of values. Which, I mean... I understand sometimes it just doesn't click and, and I'm, I'm not going to worry about his mouth until I get his soul taken care of but you would think once in a while some you'd, you'd think once in a while somebody would kind of back off a little bit they invited us over to a neighborhood block party Ann and I went and uh, you know they're, they're nice people but there, there was the, the, the hooch was flowing and uh, we don't necessarily fit into that crowd very well. Maybe Ann does, but I don't. <laughs> Payback. <laughs> but we go over there, and, 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 I, and I wonder, what's going to happen? You know? And we get together, and they said... Scott, would you pray over the food? I said, yes. I'll be glad to. You know, to get to go where all the neighbors are gathered together and get to, to preach a little sermon while they all bow their heads. It's wonderful. Dear Lord, I'm so grateful for these wonderful people that live on our block that care for one another. I'm thankful you've kept our neighborhood safe and watched over us. I pray you'd bless this food, Lord, and just help us to have wonderful fellowship here and to recognize you as the source of all good things. Amen. Dig in. You know, you get invited to bring God into the fellowship. You plant those seeds. He said, I don't know if I'd be able to do that or not. Get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Get filled with the Holy Spirit. It takes away your inhibitions. You can do those things. You should be evangelistic. Now, Peter was a man with his own set of character problems. When he followed Jesus, we see him doing all kinds of goofy stuff. And when he got baptized in the Holy Spirit, this man who not many days before 
watched them take Jesus away. And he, he watched cautiously from a distance, warming himself around the fire and trying to watch what are they doing to him over there. And somebody comes up and says, you're one of them. He says, I'm not. I'm just here enjoying the fire. They come up and said, I know you're one of them. I'm not, I tell you, I'm not. A third time. You're one of them. And he got some mad, began to, he called a curse on himself. He began to, to curse. But what he did is he, he basically what he said is, uh, may heaven strike me dead if I'm lying. That was what he was saying. I swear, I do not know this man. Now that's the man who got baptized in the Holy Spirit and stood up before Jerusalem and said, you folks having a hard time figuring out what's going on today? Let me tell you what's going on. And the boldness of the Holy Spirit came out of him. And he said, this is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel. In the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Young men shall prophesy, old men shall dream dreams on your handmaids and servants. I'll pour out my spirit in that day. This is it. This is that. It's happening right now. And Peter got done preaching that sermon, and hundreds of people got saved because of boldness. The willingness to tell the story, it turned him around. It made him evangelistic. Peter said to them, I'm here to tell you about Jesus. You crucified him. But he rose from the dead. You killed the Messiah, but God raised him up and made him Lord over all. Now, now I'm going to forgive you for it, but you've got to repent. You've got to get baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you do, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit because the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off for whom the Lord God will call. And they just begin to pour into the altars, so to speak. Huge revival. Pentecostal church is a soul winning church number three the Pentecostal church is a community church a church of fellowship it's, we're not just a business even though we are technically classified as a type of business we're, we're not just a corporation even though technically we are a corporation nonprofit organization we're not just a social club even though we have social interaction but we're a close community of believers well, isn't every church? Some are, and, and they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be a close fellowship of believers. They're supposed to be evangelistic, but they're supposed to be spirit-filled too. That's what makes a complete Pentecostal church. And you can't just be a social program and not be spirit-filled and call yourself Pentecostal. Or even legitimately call yourself a church. Because the early church was a spirit-filled church that was evangelistic that also had a close community. Now, what happened there on the day of Pentecost is that the great divide in a very broken world began to be melted down. The Jews didn't like the Romans. The Romans didn't care much for the Jews except they were just somebody they conquered. And the Jews didn't care for the Gentiles whatsoever. And some Jews didn't care for some Jews. If you're from over here, you're okay, but from Samaria, we don't like you. And the Pharisees didn't care much for the Sadducees. 
fragmented, divided. And the Holy Spirit came and people from every walk, from every nation came in. They're speaking all these different languages. And you know what happened? They begin to get saved. They begin to come into the family. Now I take you back to the book of Genesis where this all went wrong. There was a tower. And they were all working together. They united. And God said, look what they do when they all become one of one mind. They get all get together. So God says, what they're doing here being united as people, carnal people, is not good. Building these towers and, and worshiping other gods. And he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to divide this world. So there at the Tower of Babel, they were divided and they were scattered. But on the day of Pentecost, there where they were gathered together in one place in one accord, the Holy Spirit was, uh, was poured out. And from every nation across the world where they got scattered... How many years ago, now Pentecost is the antithesis, it's the opposite of Babel. What scattered then now was bringing people back together. And Jews began to discover that the Gentiles were now their brothers and their sisters. <laughs> people who were getting saved, they didn't have a church building. And the Jews who got saved went back to the synagogue and tried to have Pentecostal church in the synagogue. And the people, the Jews in the synagogue, were not understanding what's going on. You're ruining our program here. We don't do things this way. And sometimes Gentiles would be worshiping too close to the synagogue. We don't like them getting too close to the synagogue. But the walls were coming down. And Paul said in the book of Ephesians that Jesus broke down that middle wall of partition. So making peace. Taking the two and making one new man. Pentecostal church is a church of the unity of the believers. The Pentecostal spirit-filled church should have the best fellowship of all churches. We shouldn't be fussing. We shouldn't be fighting. We shouldn't be each other's throats. We shouldn't be torn apart over issues. We should be spirit-filled people. Should have the best fellowship of anybody in the world. Because when you're in one accord, you can't squabble. Because if you squabble, you're not in one accord. Lord, make us the kind of Pentecostal church that pleases you.